right, go ahead and go to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22, we'll be covering the whole chapter tonight. And uh, just a little review, because this chapter, it literally picks up right where the other one left off with the Apostle Paul getting ready to speak to the crowd. And if you remember, uh, Paul went to Jerusalem against the advice of many people prophesying by the Holy Spirit, telling him not to go, telling him he's going to be bound if he goes. Paul went anyway because he wants to preach to these people. That is his heart's desire. He still wants Israel to be saved, not just the souls of the individuals saved, even though that's what he wanted, but he wanted the nation to repent. And so he wanted to go there. And while he was there, he was spotted by Jews from Asia because the church in Jerusalem was way too involved still in the things of the temple. and um, But they were obviously had compromised a lot. But then when they saw Paul there, they lost it. There's a riot. He gets beat up. The Romans come to calm things down because they're the ones that are still in charge. They'll let them do their worship. But if things get out of hand, there's going to be a riot. They're stepping in. Paul, as he's being taken up the steps, um, heading to... Uh, the Roman fortress Antonia, which people call the Temple Mount today. Uh, that's another subject. Paul at, gets the Roman soldier to allow him to speak. And so the last verse mentioned how he spoke in the Hebrew tongue, saying. And that is, a, that is kind of a strange place to end a chapter, but that's where we're at. And Paul right now is speaking. And so just picture that. Picture him standing there uh, in between the Roman fortress and the temple, and he's got the attention now of a multitude. And while they didn't really want him to speak, there wasn't a whole lot they could do because the Romans are allowing it, and they didn't want the Romans coming after them too. And so it says in verse 1, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And something very important that you must understand doctrinally is people often assume in some epistles that when the term brother is used, that that always means they're talking to saved people. And, but that is not the case if they are addressing Jews. If, and if you don't understand this, you're going to make a lot of false assumptions when you're reading the Bible. And, and let's go to James 5. I'm going to give one example because I covered this verse, I didn't go into great detail on it on Sunday night. But I mentioned how, um, you know, there was a preacher who was proving that you can get your sins covered by soul winning. And I was showing how foolish that was. But people do get confused on this verse because in verse 19, it says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. And, it's, and it's, it sounds like converting a sinner from the error of his ways and saving a soul from death is somebody getting saved, right? And you know what? It is. But what people will do, they'll say, no, it can't be talking about that. You know why? Because notice what he says there. He says, brethren. So he's talking to the church. He's talking to believers here. Wrong. It, that is not the case because of the fact that James is written to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. And so when he's referring to them as brethren, this isn't, it's not like we call each other brother. 
We are here today, we are all brethren in Christ, and that's about it. I mean, how many people do we have in our church that aren't even American citizens, or at least used to not be American citizens? Okay, you know, we've got people here that are originally from France, you know, uh, you know, India, is that where you're at, Brother Chris? I know you've been in a lot of different countries. You know, we've got you know, Mexico. We've got people from all these different countries in our church. So nationally, you know, we're not all technically brethren. And, and we're not all from the same families. But yet we are brethren, but in Christ. Now, back then, during that day, the Jews, they were national brethren. They were from the tribes. They were all physically of Israel and as a nation, too, they had a, they were united in worship. We don't have any of that stuff in America today. So it wasn't unusual when Jews are talking to other Jews to refer to them as brethren, even though they're not saved. Now, let me ask you, this multitude that just beat up Paul for preaching Jesus, okay, are they saved? No. But what did he call them? Brethren. And understand Within Israel, there were many who did not remain obedient to the scriptures. They did not remain obedient to the law of Moses because they did not follow the prophet that the Lord raised up of their own brethren like unto Moses. And because of that, God said, I'm going to require it if they don't. And they're going to be cut off from among the people. And so understand when Jews would get saved, you know what? And they would believe in Christ. They were, they were secure, they were saved, they maintained their inheritance, safe forever, they could never lose their salvation. But those that rejected, they were cut off. But it, the cutting off didn't necessarily happen overnight. God gave them space to repent. So we must remember these things. It's very important, but people get really confused on this stuff because they're always trying to separate the church from Israel. But understand, Israel during this time... You know, it, it wasn't as just cut and dry of, you know, real obvious, like when it all changed. God gave Israel space to repent, gave them time to accept Jesus as the Messiah, and most of them did not. And guess what? They were broken off of Israel. They were cut off. The church, when they got saved and believed on Christ, God didn't say, all right, you were of Israel. Now I'm separating you from them. No, God went to those who did not have faith and he said, you know what? You're not accepting me as Messiah. You're no longer of Israel. And he cut them off. That's the way it really works. So very important to understand that. So James is in fact talking about someone getting saved. And when you get somebody saved, their sins are the ones that are covered. And don't let the brethren there confuse you because James is written to the 12 tribes by James, who is a Jew. So he could call a group of people who aren't necessarily saved brothers, just like Paul did to an angry, unsaved mob in Acts chapter 22. So uh, just a very important thing that we need to understand. So in verse 2, it says, And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence, and he saith. Okay? Now, Remember, Paul has been given permission to speak by the Roman soldiers, not so much by the Jews. The Jews, they've always been big in cancel culture. They've always been big in silencing any opposition. It's just kind of their thing. Okay? That's why we have the Anti-Defamation League. That's why they're in charge of all these different organizations like that. 
That's why they're in charge. They've managed to get themselves in charge of all the media groups and things so they can silence any opposition. But this is but when they are not in control, it's hard for them to do that. And the Romans were in control during this time. And it was the Romans that gave Paul permission to speak. And so the Jews, out of fear of the Romans, are cooperating. But they're not happy about it. There's no doubt they're not okay with this. You know, I'm sure there was kind of a murmuring and a grumbling going on as Paul's speaking. But what are they going to do? They don't want to fight the Romans because they're going to lose. And so... Uh, so when they, but when they hear Paul speaking in Hebrew, notice how it says they calm down. They kept the more silence. So there is, there's kind of a grumbling going on. But then when Paul starts speaking in Hebrew, it calms them down. And you know why that happened? Because of the fact that the Jews love everything Jewish. They're still like that, you know, and hey, this is Hebrew. He's not speaking in Greek. The, so the thing is, the Romans aren't going to know what he's saying. So they, they like it. You know, Paul's kind of throwing them a bone here, I guess you could say. But again, Paul's just trying to get that. Paul just wants their attention. Paul just wants an opportunity. And that's how we are. We just want opportunities. Just, you know, when we knock on doors, just give me a chance. All right? Give me a chance. Let me give you the gospel. And so Paul, uh, you know, I think probably one of the reasons, too, you know, he's speaking Jewish like this, too, is because they're hearing all these rumors, too, that he was basically teaching people to be less Jewish. And that that wasn't completely true okay it was you know the the rumors that they said about paul were like a lot of rumors where there's there's an element of truth to it but they're spinning it in a really negative way and that's how it is all the time even today when people want to tell lies about you spread rumors about you they'll give facts but then what they'll do is they'll put a spin on it that makes it seem really negative like when jesus said you know destroy this temple in three days i'll raise it up I mean, he said that, but it was that spin that they put on it. You know, that's what, and, and, and people have always done that. So verse three, Paul's speaking and he says, I am verily a man, which am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. Paul here when speaking to these people, he is giving his Jewish credentials because that stuff mattered to them. Okay? And you say, oh, I don't understand why that stuff matters. Listen, these things still matter today. We don't use the same credentials, but, and most of you, you might not be familiar with this type of thing. Okay? You know, I, I, I'm from the preacher world. I go to preacher's conferences and things. But basically what Paul did here, he did what people do at preacher conferences today is he started name dropping. So it's, you know, here, this, this is where I'm from. I was taught at the feet of Gamaliel in this city. And preachers, whenever, they're get, whenever they get asked to preach at a conference or something like that, and if they're not super well-known, they've got to make sure all the brethren know who they are. I graduated from Hiles Anderson College. I was trained under you know, the ministry of Dr. So-and-so. I was preaching for this person. I have friends with that person. And they name drop through the whole thing. My wife and I, we pay attention to this stuff, and it drives us crazy. When you go to any of these meetings, it's just name drop, name drop, name drop. And it's like, that has absolutely nothing to do with that passage in the Bible that you're preaching. But it has everything to do with impressing the crowd so you can kind of you know, show them Listen, y'all listen to what I'm saying. I got the pedigree. I'll run with the message. There's there's some preachers, you can't hear them preach a message without them name dropping Jack Hiles or whatever. 
I mean, everywhere they go, and it's just like, I mean, I, I challenge you to go find a Bob Gray sermon where he doesn't reference Jack Hiles. It's just probably not going to happen. You know, why, why are they doing that? Well, because if he knows the crowd he's preaching to respects him, you know, I was preaching with Jack Hiles. I was doing this with Jack Hiles. And it's like, oh, man, you know, that guy. You know, I, I went and I had dinner with a, a well-known preacher not that long ago. I was at a pastor's conference, and he's in his 90s still preaching, Brother Tom Wallace, and he, name dropping, and he's, he's, he was telling me, he was like telling me all these stories about just, and he's just naming all these legends, you know, some of these big name preachers that were dead before I was even born, I've just heard stories, and he's just telling all these stories, and I, I don't think he was trying to impress me, but he, these are, he's just kind of giving facts, telling about his ministry and stuff, and things that God did in the past, and I'm just kind of, I'm just going to admit, I was kind of impressed. I was kind of impressed as he's telling me these stories and, you know, and it, and it got my attention. So that kind of thing, it does, it, it still works today. And, and a lot of time, if your message just isn't that great and you don't have that much authority behind it, drop some names and it'll, it'll get you there. And it's like that in every group and some, pre- some preachers, you, they can't, they can't preach a sermon without name dropping. So uh, it's kind of funny and there's a place for it. And Paul basically did it right here. You know why? Because he knew it mattered to the, this crowd. He knew it mattered. And he mentioned too, I was like you at one time. I was zealous of the law. I was one of you. And he said, and I persecuted this way unto the death. Hey, you see what you all are doing to me? I used to do this to other people. He said, I, even unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And as also the high priest doth bear me witness and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. So the, you know he's 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 letting them know. Okay, I'm I'm not just any Jew. Okay? I'm somebody. I was like you. I mean, I was I was zealous. I I was high ranking. I persecuted the church i mean i i had people killed that's how much i was into this thing and so he and he, but something changed my mind something changed my mind on this thing and it says and it came to pass that as i made my journey and was come nigh unto damascus about noon suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round, round about me and i fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me saul saul why persecutest thou me and I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light, and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. Now I'm going to stop right here for a minute and just point out a few things. Now understand, while the Jews are kind of controlling themselves right now, he's just upset them very much by, one, mentioning the name Jesus. And again, the church was meeting at the temple. How are, you know, were they not witnessing to the people around there? You know, how much compromise had taken place? But he's also talking about basically being spoken to by someone who had died, someone who they knew they were claiming to be the son of God, a light from heaven. So when, and the Jews would get very, very upset when they would start speaking of heavenly things like this. They considered it extremely blasphemous if you know, they didn't, if, if they didn't believe you. And so under, under, and understand some of the behavior we're about to see here too, 
This is a little foreign to us. But, you know, like in, in our culture, if we hear a preacher get up and say, the Lord showed me this vision, I saw this light, and God spoke to me, we just think, idiot, you know, and if you're, if you're watching on TV or the Internet, you just move on to the next thing. We don't believe him, do we? Well, now, what we probably should do if a guy's doing something like that, it actually should probably make us a lot more upset than it does. The problem is we're so used to it, so many people are doing it, it almost doesn't even phase us anymore. But back then during that time, when they would hear that kind of thing, it was, it was a really big deal that they would violently react to. And that was one of the reasons, too, you know, there were so many times they wanted to kill Jesus because they felt he's saying things that are blasphemous. And so we are, we're used to blasphemy. We hear people taking God's name in vain every day. It's just, it, we're, we're surrounded by it. It doesn't even phase us anymore. But back then, these people who are zealous of the law, they hear somebody use God's name the wrong way. I mean, they're collecting stones. You know, they're, they're, they're ready to kill him. That, that's all they were. And, and, and so keep all that in mind because Paul has definitely, in their minds, crossed some lines with some things that he's saying here. And that'll help us understand why they're going to react the way they do in a little bit. But in verse um, 10, And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that went with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him. And so notice how Paul points out the fact that Ananias was not only somebody who had a good report of the, of the Jews, but that he also did a miracle too, which is, was very significant for these people too. So if we've got, so he's kind of name drops again, Ananias. This is a guy well reported of amongst the Jews. This is a reported guy. He called me brother Saul. He healed my sight and gave me my, he gave me my sight back. So, and we can't ever forget the fact, again, that any Jew who believed on Christ, they did not see themselves as leaving Judaism. Ananias, like I'm not a, you know, listen, brother Saul, I'm not a Jew anymore. You know, I'm, I'm a Christian. He's, they still saw themselves as that. And it, that, that whole idea, it is a false assumption based on a preconceived idea that the, church, that the church is completely separate from Israel. And that that's just not the case. Okay, And it is now. I mean, obviously we're separate from the UN creation of 1948. But that Israel we're not. We're, we're not separated from that at all. So in verse 14, it says, And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldst know his will, and see that just one, and shouldst hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord." Now, let's go ahead and address this verse, too, because this is a verse that people might try to use to prove that baptism washes away sin. But the big question we need to ask is, what baptism was Ananias talking about when he, when he told him to be baptized? Because let's go back to Acts chapter 9, where we see this story actually taking place, and let's take a look at what happened. And again, 
people, you know, it, it's amazing how people will ignore letters by Paul explaining salvation. And they will go to a story where it's giving us some facts about certain key things that took place. And they will get their doctrine from that rather than Paul just spelling things out like in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and, and all the things about salvation and Romans. And they'll just take a verse like this and just run with it. It's pretty ridiculous. But let's go ahead and take a look at what happened. So in Acts 9, 17, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Okay, now, either way you spin this, what we're going to see is, you know, Ananias is basically calling on Paul to join them. And notice that the washing of sins came from calling on the Lord. Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's how you get your sins washed away, calling on the name of the Lord. And so when he's calling on Paul to join them too, what was the thing that they would do when they would become a part of the church? They would get baptized. So the thing is, and he told him too in here that he was going to receive the Holy Ghost. So there's, there's no doubt that Paul got saved before he got baptized. He got the Holy Ghost before all these things took place. So no matter how you spin it, okay, there, there's no doubt the order of events that took place. Paul got saved, and then he got baptized, and he, the sins were not washed away through the baptism, but through the calling of the Lord. So he did that, and we see when we go back to that story, he got baptized after that. So, um, either, so when you look at the facts of the story, and you look at the events in the order that they happen, guess what? It lines up with the clear instruction about salvation that the Apostle Paul taught. So you can't just take a verse there where it's kind of given a summary of things uh, of, the, of what Ananias said and then act like that somehow teaches baptismal regeneration. That's very, very poor interpretation when you do it that way. So look at verse 17. And understand too, there's Baptists that will take a verse like that and it confuses them so bad what they just do is they go into hyper-dispensationalism and say, well, you know, there were multiple dispensations in the book of Acts and there was a time where they had to be repent and be baptized to be saved. And then after Paul got his revelation, after Paul received his dispensation, that's when it became faith, no works. But like for the Jews, they had to be baptized. It's just like, I don't know what to do about these people. I don't know what to do about them. I think the best thing we can do with ones when they go that far is, you know, expose them to the saved dispensational crowd. It's like, this is the doctrine y'all are messing with. Don't, don't follow those people. And more people are figuring it out, thankfully. But verse 17 says, And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance and saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem. Watch this. For they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. Now, what I, what I kind of want to do in the rest of this message, I just want to preach to you a little bit and kind of make some life application here. Because we're seeing, again, we're just kind of seeing the facts of what's going on. But I do want to make some life application to something that's going on here. But Paul here is referring back to when he first got saved. 
And when he first got saved, remember how it tells the story about how they let him down the wall in the basket because they were going to try to kill him when he when he started preaching. And so the Holy Spirit told him years back when he first got saved that they were not going to receive his testimony concerning him. So God gave Paul instruction to leave because they wouldn't receive his testimony. Now, let me ask you, when God did this, was this was God done in Jerusalem was God removing all witnesses in Jerusalem? No, there were still people witnessing in Jerusalem. But God told Paul, they're not going to listen to you. Now, now keep that in mind. Okay, keep that in mind. Because you know what? There's people out there, they are not going to listen to you. But you know what? They might listen to me. They might listen to somebody else. God uses different people for different purposes for different groups. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But keep that in mind. God said that about Paul. God did not want to use Paul for reaching the Jews. Even though we know Paul got some Jews saved, God had something special for Paul. God wanted Paul being a light to the Gentiles. That was where that was the ministry that God had for Paul. Paul clearly, and I've been showing this, had a desire to try to get Israel saved. But that is not that was not God's will for his life. That was not a bad work. To want, but it was not what God had for Paul. So verse 19 says, And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of the, the, thy martyrs, Stephen, was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. So God told Paul right at the beginning, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. That's what I have for you. That's what I have ordained you to do. That's what you are there for. He said, I will send thee, under the, send thee far hence to the Gentiles. And we talked about this before. That word apostle, it means sent. And Paul, he was. He was an apostle. He was sent by Jesus Christ himself to the Gentiles. And so God knew they were not going to receive Paul's testimony, but that did not mean God didn't leave a witness in that area. God had a witness in that area, but God uses different people to reach different people. And there are people, they would, there's people out there, they would never listen to me or they would never even listen to someone who looks like me, but they might listen to someone else. There are some people out there that they would probably rather hear from somebody that was the same color as them. And ha or has the same accent or the same kind of background as them. That, and you know what? God's not going to use me to reach them. God's going to use somebody else. And that is why, too, I, I hear more and more people about people doing this kind of thing. In fact, we were down in Florida. We were having some conversations about goofballs. You know, the, you know Pastor Boyle, he's had some goofballs come through his church, too. He sends them back up to Illinois as often as he can. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. <laughs> but... Um, you know, we was telling some, telling some stories about, you know, some crazy people uh, that, that come through our churches. And it's like you have these young morons that act like they, they think they're creating reprobates by going and giving people a first and second admonition. And these people, it's like they'll, they'll, go, they'll go witness to somebody. And it's like I, I tried twice. They rejected. Now we got to reject them. They're done. They basically become reprobate. Listen, I, I, you know, stuff like that just it, it blows my mind. But here's the thing. I do think 
if you go, you, you can do that. You go give someone a first in admonition, and if they're just rejecting you, you know what, move on. But you can't declare them reprobate because maybe they just don't want to listen to you. And, they, and specifically, too, it's talking about people that they felt like that was happening within their own family. I went to my mom. I gave her a first and second admonition, and she rejected. Reprobate. It's like, hang on. You know what Bible says? A pro, Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, saving his own country. A lot of times your family is the hardest one. And I think the family is the first people you ought to go to, for sure. But it's very likely that they will not listen to you because they just know you too well. But they might listen to somebody else. So do it. By all means, give your family a first and second admonition, and you might get to a point where it's like, you know, I, I, I just can't anymore. But you know what? Pray for them. God might have someone else out there that can actually reach them. That's just, that's just the way it is. So you, you never create a reprobate by going and just giving them two admonitions and then rejecting them that way. No, God might have somebody else. Well, I'm a better soul owner than that. No, no. there's some people, they're, they're just not going to listen to you. There's some, pers- there's some personalities that just conflict, that don't go together. And, you know, we all, we do, we all have, there's all different types of preachers that are out there. And they're not all bad, okay? They're... I mean, there's some guys that preach with a southern accent, and they do a lot more whooping and hollering and screaming, and they're a lot more, you know, they're a lot more animated than somebody like me. And you know, some of you'd be like, I would, you know, I mean, how many would want to hear that all the time? That camp meeting type preaching. I enjoy it occasionally, but I couldn't do that all the time. It's like, come on, you know. But at the same time, too, that's what some people, you know, they they're more likely to listen to that. If they're from that culture, if they're from that world, there's some people too, probably down south, they wouldn't want to hear me. God's probably not going to send me to reach the rednecks in North Carolina out in the backwoods somewhere. I'd be kind of cool getting sent out there. I would, I'd probably enjoy those people for a little bit, but God's probably not going to use me for them. And it's, and you know, the thing, you know, when it comes to other cultures, you know, there's some people, they might not want to listen to a white guy. We need, you need to send a black guy there. Because that community is not going to receive them. And God, ha- the, the key is, you've got to get to the place where God wants you. God has different people for different groups. There's people out there, they're better at reaching, you know, the rich crowd. You know, they're, they're better at reaching those, you know, businessmen and things. Where there's other people, they're better at reaching, you know, the lower income crowd and they're better at reaching the middle class people we need all those we've got there's people that are they thrive in a small town but they would you know not do good in a city there's some people that do good in a city they wouldn't do good in a small town you've just got to go where god wants you to be and 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 if you're where god wants you to be that's where you will be used the greatest but you know what happens a lot of times is there's people who they want to be in a certain area, they want to be in a certain type of ministry, but that is not where God wants them. And I'm telling you, you're not going to do better there. Paul, probably the greatest soul winner that there ever was, probably got more people saved than anybody ever, but you know what? He was not very successful in Jerusalem, was he? We don't see things ever going well with him and the Jews. They were the ones that were always persecuting him. I mean, when he would have problems in all these other cities, it was always because of the Jews. But he did great with the Gentiles. They were always like him. It was, all, it was the Jews that Paul had a real problem with. 
And you know what? Maybe it was his personality. And I don't, I'm not going to pretend to be God. And, you know, I, I don't know what all God saw. But obviously, God understood there's something about this guy. He will be able to reach those Gentiles. But he's not going to be able to do anything with the Jews. So, you know what? I'm going to send to the Gentiles. But Paul, Paul wanted to go to the Jews. So, um, and that wasn't a bad thing for him to want. But, you know, he should have stayed focused on just doing what God wanted him to do. And we're going to see as we go through this, he did what God wanted him to do. God still had his way with Paul and, uh, and thank the Lord for that, but he kind of did it the hard way. And so, um, verse 22, and they gave him audience unto, unto this word and then lifted up their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth for it is not fit that he should live. So keep this in mind. Paul's been speaking this whole time, but he's been speaking in the, in the Hebrew tongue. So the Romans, they don't really know what he's saying. They're confused about what's going on. They're, they have no idea what these religious things are. These religious disputes are about. They're not familiar with that. They don't care about that. Remember a few chapters ago when they were in the one city and they had a religious dispute going on. And then the one magistrate that was there, a leader that was there, he was like, why are you even bringing this to me? This is a religious matter. And he ran them off and a bunch of them got in trouble as a result of that. So the thing is, you have a situation where it could have turned out that way. But the Romans, they have no idea what's going on because the mob's mad. They beat this guy up. He goes and he speaks, but they don't know what he's saying. And after he says what he had to say and doesn't even really get done, they're saying away with this fellow. It's not fit that he should live. So in the Romans' mind, he must be bad. There must be something wrong with him. I mean, look at what the Jews are all saying about him. He must be bad. And it's like, the Romans, they're kind of like just your normal, average, NPC-type people in our country who let the news media think for them. You know how many people we have like that in this country? The news media thinks for them. And so the news media comes along, the Jews, and they say, these people are bad. Oh, yeah. Must be something wrong with them. There must be something wrong with that church, otherwise people wouldn't be protesting. There must be something wrong with that church, otherwise they wouldn't be doing negative news stories about them. Um, listen, if you had a brain in your head, if you had a clue, if you'd actually look into these things, you would see we're actually right, we're not that bad. But the Romans, they're just trying to keep peace, trying to keep things calm. But they do. They think something's wrong with Paul just because there must be. The multitude's going after him. And again, where's the church defending him? I mean, there's a... There was, a mul- there, was supposed to be, there was supposed to be thousands of saved Jews there in the church. They're doing the things of the temple. Why aren't they st- sticking up for Paul during this whole thing? I don't understand that, and I do. I, I, I think it's just because they were really lame and really compromised. And so um, Paul got what he wanted, an opportunity to preach, but they didn't listen, and he gets taken away, bound, exactly like was prophesied to him. So it says in verse 23, and as they cried out, watch this, and cast off their clothes and threw dust in the air. Okay, that was what they would do when they would hear blasphemy and stuff. It was kind of like a way of humbling themselves and like, you know, a, a way of, you know, sanctifying themselves because, oh man, we heard these things. Our, our ears have been defiled by what's been said. You know what they basically did? It was kind of like you see on the social media and on the Twitter world and stuff. 
where when people, you know, hear these clips of things that we say, everybody starts freaking out. This is so horrible. This is so hateful. This is so awful. I mean, I'm so upset. I'm so outraged. And everybody's got to express their outrage to show how it's a virtue signal. They're, they're, that's what they were doing. That was their way of doing it back then. Folks, nothing's changed. Hey, nothing's changed. We just use di- different means to do that. We, they use the Internet now. They use social media to do that now. And people do. They act so freaked out. They act so violated. And, you know, and, and what do they do? Oh, man, that preacher said this about homos or whatever. And then they'll go and they'll, they'll interview some freak, you know, but one that's not too dangerous looking. Crying, I just don't feel safe in this community with this church around. I mean, all right, let, let's check the records. Is there any history of anything violent ever happening in this church? Nothing. And yet you, you're scared. Why? Because people are telling you to be scared. That's why. It's because the people, people are telling you to. But, no, but, but nothing's happened. But people are freaking out, so something must be wrong. And so you do. You have the Romans going along. And that happens. You know, when we've had things said about us, unfortunately, we got a lot of Romans in this area, a lot of NPC types that don't know how to think. And there are. There's people out there. They think there must be something wrong with this church. They don't know anything about us. They haven't really looked into us. But a lot of people said some stuff, so there must be something wrong. No, if you actually looked into these things, you'd find out we're right. And find out we're not bad. Find out we're really nice people. I had, I had one person that called me one time because he had heard all the terrible things about us. And he talked to me and found out the, you know, after talking to me that I'm a very nice individual. I'm a very articulate individual, he said. And therefore, his conclusion was that I must be a sociopath. And I, because, you know, people like that, you know, they do, they, they can come off as nice, you know, Ted Bundy, you know, he came off as nice and, but, but, you know, he was just a horrible, violent individual, but, you know, he also had a whole bunch of bodies and people that he killed and things like that. And that's what the guy told me too. He's like, I think you're a sociopath and I think you eventually will probably kill people. And I just laughed and I thought, I don't know what to tell you. I said, but I, I really am a nice guy, and I haven't hurt anybody. Don't plan on hurting anybody. But, you know, he, he couldn't get those, you know, he, he, he watched all those Jews in this area throwing ashes on their head, renting their clothes, freaking out, and he bought it. He bought it. Dumb Roman. Just didn't know any better. So it, it's just, it's amazing how little people change. We think things are changing because of technology. Ladies and gentlemen, nothing's changing. This is the exact same thing we're seeing right here. And, and so what the Jews did, it worked. Man, look at how upset these people are. And so it says, and so the Romans, they don't know what to do. They didn't know what Paul was saying when he was speaking about doctrinal things. So they just went along with the mob. And it says in verse 25, and they bound him with thongs. Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. And let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with taking advantage of the laws of the land. Nothing wrong with that. And that's exactly what Paul did. They did. They just started beating him. And, you know, and Paul didn't, he, he didn't even bother saying, why are you beating me? He knew these guys were stupid, didn't have any clue. 
but he also understood how Roman law worked, and, be, and he knew what they were doing was against the law. And so the Apostle Paul, you know what he did? He called them out. What you're doing is unlawful. And then you know what he prob- probably had happen? He probably had a bunch of his so-called brethren making fun of him for being a nationalist. Oh, my constitutional rights, and you know, making fun of him for you know, bringing those things up. Listen, nothing changes, folks. Hey, remember, remember all the heat we were getting for bringing up Constitution? They can't tell us to shut down. Man, Pastor Boyle, they were, they were nailing his hide to the wall because he's bringing all that stuff up. And just, you know, making, acting like we're Fox News, Baptists, and America. We're just doing what the Apostle Paul did. Even if it was against the law, if it would have legitimately been against the law, then we could have said we ought to obey God rather than men. But the truth is, it wasn't even against the law. So why not use that? The Apostle Paul, he took beatings in all kinds of places, and he didn't bring that kind of thing up because it wasn't the case. But here, it's like, hey, this is unlawful what you're doing. And he's, he's calling it out. We're going to see it in the next chapter when they command to go smite him. You know, he brought up how you're smiting me contrary to the law. You're violating the law. He's calling that kind of stuff out. And, you know, we claim Christians, they're going to have a problem with that. But you know what? There's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. And you know what? If, if we can use our American citizenship and use laws to our advantage, if we could take advantage of the fact that we have free speech. You know, if, if there are, thankfully, you know, some of the, you know, the Romans that are in leadership in this country, that are in law enforcement. I'm sure we've got some Romans in law enforcement around here that probably don't like us very much. They don't like getting the calls from people that we're out soul winning and everything. But you know what? They know what the Constitution says, and they know that we are protected, and so they leave us alone. They'd probably like to arrest us, but they can't. They'll get in, they'll get, they'll get in trouble. And you know why they'll get in trouble? Because we'll call them out on it. You know, they want to try to throw me in jail for soul winning. Listen, that's illegal. They can't do that. If it goes to court and we get a decent judge, they're going to lose. And then I can finally get rich maybe and sue them. I don't know. You know, probably, like I said, that's probably the only way I'm ever going to get rich. But they do. They, ha- they have that fear of that. And we're going to use that. And you know what? I want these clowns that have a problem with people bringing up Constitution and talking about those things. I want them, when they, when they get arrested for these things, to just say, you know what? Do whatever you want. God's not an American. Have your way with me. That's not what they're going to do. They're not going to do that. You know what they're going to do? This is against, you guys can't do this. We have freedom of speech. We have freedom of religion. They're, you know what they're going to do? They're going to do exactly what Paul did. You know why? Because it's common sense. It's common sense. That's all there is to it. And so Paul, he used that. And I, 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 it, does, it almost makes me have a little bit of respect for the Romans, the fact that it freaked them out. It shows that they you know, cared about law. And they, uh, about the law of that land. And those are the people you want in government. Those are the people you want in law enforcement. We want, you know, the, the police that we have, we want police that understand they are not kings. Okay? Now, that's what a lot of people were teaching, too, when the government was trying to shut churches and things down. They were acting like we have kings and lords that can just make up laws on the fly. Wrong. Well, you know, the Bible says they have... No, wait, no. The government has limited powers. And they are only authorized to do things in certain areas. When they step out of line there, that's wrong. Just because somebody's a police, we should submit to the police 
in areas where they have authority. If a policeman pulls you over, if he comes driving up and his light, you know, lights are on, you know, by law we're supposed to pull over. There are certain protocols and things we're supposed to follow. But, you know, if he's just like, you know what, I pulled you over because I like your car, give me your keys, I'm going to go take it home as a present for my wife. Well, you know, the Bible says, submit yourself to every ordinance of man. That's not an ordinance. Nobody's authorized them to do that. Nobody. And let me tell you, nobody ever authorized our governor to close down our church, to arrest people for not wearing masks and things like that. But people were even preaching, put on the mask because the government said so. Who authorized them to say that? Not only did the Bible not authorize them to say that, but our own laws haven't authorized them to say that. So these are, you know, it's, it's amazing what people, how bad they can twist the scripture when they've got an agenda, when they're just, you know, they feel backed in the corner or whatever. It's pretty sad. But verse 29 says, Then straightway they departed from him, which stood, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid. The chief captain, he's the chief. You should definitely listen to that guy, right? No, he's afraid. Because even he's got, he's got people over him. And he knew that he was a Roman because he had bound him. And government workers should always have a respect and fear of the laws of the land. And so on the morrow, because he would have known the certainty, wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. And so in the next chapter, this chapter kind of ends like the last one did, right as he's about to face a new group. So the last one ended where he's getting ready to speak to the Jews, uh, the multitude of the Jews. And this one, it's where he's going to be speaking to basically the leadership there, the Roman leadership, but also a council of Jews who are accusing him, who are letting the... uh, So it's kind of like court here. And so the Romans, they're kind of the judges. He's his own defense. And then the council of Jews, including the high priest, they're basically the prosecutors trying to prove that Paul's a bad guy that ought to get in trouble. And the truth is, they just wanted to get rid of him. That's all there is to it. And so I think a great lesson we can learn from this chapter, where we can make some personal application, is the best thing that we could ever do is just let God use us exactly how he sees fit. Paul wanted to win the Jews. But God said, they're not going to receive you in Jerusalem when he first started. And later in Paul's ministry, after he did a great work, it's like, I want to go back. I'm I'm going to go witness to them. And God kept telling him, don't go, don't go. They're not going to listen. They're not going to listen. And God let them do it. And guess what? They didn't listen. So now he's been beat. He's been beat up by the mob, gets beat by the Romans. And he's about to get, you know, get put on trial and he's going to go through a lot more stuff. But eventually, you know what? Eventually, God's going to get what he wanted from Paul and Paul's going to preach in Rome. And I think that's what God wanted Paul to do. And let me think, God, God's going to get what he wants from his servants. Like Jonah, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. God got Jonah to Nineveh, didn't he? So do you want to do things the easy way or do you want to do it the hard way? I don't know about you. I prefer the easy way. So hopefully we got some good lessons from that. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. We thank you so much for this wonderful chapter and just the uh, great truths and principles that we can learn from it. And I pray I hope all of us, Lord, to just uh, yield to uh, your will for our lives.
And Lord, I know it's not always crystal clear uh, what you want from us, but help us to just uh, really have a heart and desire to, to do and to be where you want us, Lord. Uh, help us because we know uh, that's where things will be the best. And Lord, when we fail, I pray that you'll uh, be merciful and like you were with Paul and still use us anyway, but help us to try to uh, avoid a lot of the problems and doing things the hard way. In your name we pray. Amen.